The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their healthcare practitioner before attempting any treatment. Hello, and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Ellen Goldsmith, licensed acupuncturist, your host every second Monday of the month. Well, today we're really lucky to have in studio our guest, Sandor Katz. Sandor Ellis Katz is a fermentation revivalist. His books, Wild Fermentations, which was just revised and republished, and The Art of Fermentation, along with hundreds of fermentation workshops he's taught around the world, have helped to catalyze a broad revival of the fermentation arts. A self-taught experimentalist who lives in rural Tennessee, the New York Times has called him one of the unlikely rock stars of the American food scene, and Newsweek called Wild Fermentation the Fermenting Bible. Sandor Katz is the recipient of a James Beard Award and many other honors. In fact, this past weekend, he was a featured speaker and teacher at the Food as Medicine Symposium here in Portland at the National University of Natural Medicine. Sandor Katz, welcome back to Health Watch. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's great to have you here. So there is this fermentation revival going on, and yet many, many people are simply very afraid of the thing that catapults fermentation, bacteria. So can you set the record straight for our listeners on fermentation and bacteria? Well, I, I mean, first of all, um, you know, almost every individual in almost every part of the world eats and drinks, like if your listeners, if they, so, I mean, you know, are eating and drinking every day without thinking, and, and people are doing fine. All that make up our communities of microorganisms, and as we see when we clean our refrigerants, can cause our food to decompose, and, you know, as we know, experience bacteria for, for people. Patient, environmental conditions of environmental conditions, discouraging the, um, you know, Requirement or uh, compatible for any of the as so uh, ferment teach, um, uh, you know, gate is no of, of illness or food poisoning. So, how can I be sure I have good bacteria rather than bad bacteria growing or about it ends up making it a historical event because of early theoretical um, uh, environment that forms assures really is that true? You know, what really assures and affirms the fact that those beneficial bacteria will outweigh those non beneficial bacteria that can form? I mean, I've I made sauerkraut once and it was just an utter failure it was slimy and gross and i was afraid of it well okay i mean you know i mean that, that's not to say you couldn't have results that that will that you will find unappealing for mm-hmm. for, for for sure um um but you know as as pathogenic or that it caused it to not be um so is that you know all post to lactic acid back to the environment up the vegetable out so the back start reproduce um so getting them submersive vegetables then you would but in either case from the front with ox will develop and get a little sort of it in the bowl for a few in sort of a cloud slime that will bear no resemblance. So they sit submerged in bacteria are to the uh, area present on brilliant strategy with food point six to four points could survive of sauerkraut the silk ring to the they, they are very you know, require humans so it just happens in nature without us um, and we have learned how to sort of harness this power but nobody specifically knows of the origins of any fermentation processes because they're also ancient they predate recorded history and you know if you look at the most ancient documents you know in, in many writing traditions the most ancient documents make reference to fermented foods and beverages 
languages that were already, um, uh, you know, widespread and common and popular in those in those parts of the world. So, you know, we can only speculate about about, you know, how people figured all of this out, you know, how this, uh, you know, kind of wisdom and, and intelligence came to us. You know, I imagine that it was just a matter of observation and trial and error over, over time. But, you know, but who knows? Like we don't we, you know, we, we just don't know about the origins. All we know is that for, you know, thousands of years, the archaeological record so far has demonstrated 10,000 years for 10,000 years or longer. You know, people have been intentionally, um, you know, fermenting various kinds of foods and beverages really in every part of the world. Right. So. Uh, I was really enjoyed your workshop the other day, and we made some of those fermented vegetables, which actually Sandra and I are going to take a little taste of and see how it's changed in the past three days. But the process can be very short, to a few minutes, to a few hours, to a few days, to years, right? And and you talked about um, the fact that when fermentation happens, it actually starts to break down the food, makes it more accessible and digestible. Could you talk about that a little? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, fermentation transforms foods nutritionally and um, uh, in, in a number of different ways. And, you know, I mean, there are so many different kinds of fermented foods and beverages that it's a little bit difficult to generalize. But, um, you know, one of the major ways that, that fermentation transforms foods nutritionally is that the microorganisms, uh, you know, the community of bacteria and fungi that are doing the fermenting are actually digesting nutrients into simpler and more elemental forms. So, you know, for instance, with a soybean, the, the, the soy protein gets broken down into amino acids, the building blocks of proteins, and thereby become more easily accessible for us. Um, men, many uh, chemical bonds which um, uh, uh, bind minerals and, and can sometimes make minerals unavailable to us are broken down by fermentation, making the minerals more available to us. The fermentation also uh, uh, generates additional nutrients, B vitamins, K vitamins, uh, you know, certain unique micronutrients that are being investigated and, and, and have, um, you know, really impressive therapeutic potentials. Um, and then finally, the bacteria themselves. I mean, not all fermented foods have living bacteria. The, you know, can of sauerkraut at the supermarket that's been heat processed no longer has intact living bacteria. But if you buy, you know, live raw sauerkraut, if you eat yogurt, if if you eat kefir, um, you know, many different kinds of uh, fermented foods and beverages that have not been cooked or heat or, or you know, vesting that it might. So yeah, you kind of uh, broken down by fermentation. It gets broken by uh, it. You started to get more. It can be broken yeast, but by bacteria. And so in a, in a bread, in a more tradition by natural leavening, which found on the grains, mixed comes to sourdough. But those bacteria reduced gluten content. So, you know, removes breaking the time you talked about is this church right. and uh, I, I, there, I, it of different micro you know you have people who maybe have bought their of I don't can't jars of jars of pickles I mean certainly they're heat processed vinegar pickles on the shelves of right. supermarkets yeah so they're wondering you know what could I do to rebuild my microbial diverse culture in my gut to get healthy, where would they start? Well, I mean, I think uh, I, one place to start is with live culture fermented foods, and um, you know, if the, so, the, the the cheapest sauerkraut you could buy in the supermarket in a can does not have the live cultures intact. But um, you know, it's very easy to make your own. You basically chop cabbage, lightly salt it to taste, get in there with your hands, squeeze it a little bit. What that does is break down cell walls, releases juice. After five minutes of squeezing uh, uh, the salted cabbage, it gets all 
juicy. You can season it with whatever you like. Um, you can add other vegetables if you like. Once they're juicy, you stuff them into a jar. Make sure you get the vegetables submerged and then you just wait, you know, one day, two days, three days, two weeks, three weeks. If you have a cool environment, two months, three months. Um, the acids slowly accumulate over time. Make your own. It's very easy. Or certainly in a in a city like Portland, um, you know, there's lots of live culture uh, uh, available, uh, you know, mostly in natural food stores and specialty stores. But I'll bet increasingly you're, you're seeing it in supermarkets and uh, um, uh, big box stores and things like that. Look in the refrigerated section if you want to have um, uh, live products, because as a practical matter, once you seal in a jar something that's alive, if you don't get it in a refrigerator, it's going to build up pressure. Juice is going to start oozing down and ruining the label. So, um, you know, one of the things that makes these live culture products uh, uh, somewhat more expensive is that they have to be kept under refrigeration. So, um, you know, there are plenty of wonderful uh, uh, quality products available to purchase these days, um, you know, or um, make it yourself. It is just so ridiculously easy. If you look on my website, wildfermentation.com, you can find information about how to do it. If you uh, look in my books, you can find, uh, you know, more in-depth information about how to do it. Um, the information is everywhere. Uh, it doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't take a lot of space. Um, it's fun. It's delicious. It's supportive of good health. I can't recommend it uh, highly enough. I'll second that emotion. <laughs> so you just got back from traveling in uh, Japan, China, and Myanmar. You know, and, and as you say, you know, all cultures eat fermented foods. Uh, certainly, uh, coming from a Jewish culture, you know, I too had those pickles and pickled tomatoes and sauerkrauts and kippered herring and all those kinds <laughs> of things. But I was just wondering, you know, what what was your takeaway from from traveling there? What really impressed you, or what what did you what did you taste that really blew your mind? Or well, I mean, you know, I had so many, so many wonderful uh, 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 foods, and I would say that I mean, the biggest thing that impressed me is. Um, you know, just seeing how many people really are, you know, just how integrated fermentation is in people's lives. And, you know, uh, you know, even many urban people are curing their own sausages or, you know, making their own pickles or their own, you know, chili sauces uh, um, or whatever. And it seems it seems just very much. Oh, also fermented tofu. I met, you know, dozens of people who, you know, wanted me to taste, you know, their homemade fermented tofu and there was actually an extraordinary variety in um, how it tasted I mean you know I I really began to get some insights into how analogous fermented tofu is to cheese absolutely and that there's just sort of so many you know different ways that people do it and levels of intensity that people take it to um, so I, I, I really enjoyed that but but the pickles the um, you know I, that was what I was most um, uh, eager to learn about just because of this historical mythology that sauerkraut comes from China, but there's so little information in the English language about the Chinese methods of fermenting vegetables. But um, uh, I've been loving the the pautsai. That's that's the word for it. The pautsai that I've been making at home. The pickled since, vegetables. Since I got home, um, I mean, it's just it's just different flavors. It's different spicing. It's a slightly different method. I mean, it's similar to what I just described in that you get vegetables uh, under a brine. But in the Chinese tradition, it seems that they typically reuse the brine over a long period of time. And the spicing is just really different. Like what I put in the ones that I have going at home, what I learned from 
This woman in Chengdu, Mrs. Ding, um, is uh, I have some licorice, mm-hmm. some star anise, some uh, Sichuan Pe- uh, peppercorns. peppercorns. Those are wonderful. Um, with that like beautiful numbing kind of a flavor, mm-hmm. uh, along with some chili peppers and garlic and ginger, um, and. Um, you know, that, that spicing, which is just so different from the Eastern European uh, uh, kind of, you know, spicing with, you know, garlic, dill, caraway that I grew up with. Um, it's just kind of, you know, just an exciting different flavor. And I've really been enjoying those pickles. Yeah. And there were, there were these um, kind of folklore stories that, you know, the, 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 the bin of pickling brine that sits outside the door gets passed on from generation to generation. And they just keep throwing the stuff back in. They don't like get a whole new clean batch and do that whole thing, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I can't really speak to the, you know, generation after generation, but I can tell you that, you know, this this woman, Mrs. Ding, and some other people I met, like, definitely keep reusing the brine and, you know, keep adding a little bit more salt and a little bit more spices to it, but they they, they, they have, a like, a basic brine that they've been working with for a long, a long period of time. So... Just because we're talking about flavor and taste, uh, on Friday night when we did this hands-on workshop with uh, Sandor, and we made our um, our vegetables, our fermented vegetables, which we can smell right now in the studio, um, we used uh, cabbage and carrots and Brussels sprouts and what else did we use, Sandor? Uh, 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 gar- garlic and dill and turnips. Uh, I think that's about it. Leeks. We have leeks, leeks, leeks too. Leeks, right, right, right. So anyway, we're just going to take a little taste and see how it changed when we so, tried it so on this Friday. So is, this is just two and a half days. So, I mean, you know, you really can begin enjoying it very quickly, but it, it will get stronger and more delicious as more days and weeks pass. All right. So the difference that I'm tasting is the first day when I tasted it, it was a little bit of salt, but it was really sweet. Now I'm really getting the sour thing going on, mm. right? Oh, my God. Such a lovely texture. And the flavors are really melding. And you can hear us crunching. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sandor... Um, Let's see. What else did I want? I could talk to you for a long time. I think, you know, it kind of changes how we think about culture. It's like culture now starts in the kitchen, right? You're culturing your food. You're transforming things in the kitchen. So... Well, I mean, I would say culture doesn't start in the kitchen. It starts in the field. I mean, ah. because, you know, because, um, you know, we, like the food has to come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, you know, my understanding at this point of fermentation is fermentation is just part of how people make effective use of the food resources that are available to them, whatever they are. All right. Well, Sandra Katz, thank you so much for coming to the studio and being with us today. People can find you at wildfermentation.com. And, um, you know, you can find out about my workshops there. You can find out about my books there. You can find links to all kinds of obscure fermentation related resources. Go for it. They're wonderful, and you will find a whole wealth of information. Thank you so much, Sandor. You have been listening to Sandor Katz, author of Wild Fermentation and the Art of Fermentation on Health Watch. I'm Ellen Goldsmith, licensed acupuncturist, your host, and you can listen to this episode and more episodes of Health Watch online at kboo.org slash healthwatch. <laughs>